Uh, it is good to see all of you. Merry Christmas. I feel like we have permission to say that now that it's December, yeah? All of my Grinches in the room, you can receive it now. Merry Christmas. It is good to see all of you. Um, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 2 is where I want you to turn to. We're going to be a little bit all over the place tonight. But Ephesians 2 is going to be our anchor text. Before we get there, a couple announcements that I have for you. Um, if you were at small groups this last weekend, um, I gave a little challenge to the students. It was a very simple challenge where I held out my arms like this and I gave them a kickball and I said, hey, if, if somebody can make this in, I'll give you guys a pizza party on a Wednesday night. I gave two guys a chance to throw the ball. They didn't even get remotely close to my body when they took a shot. And yet our ladies have two for two made a shot. So next Wednesday, everyone say next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, okay, we are going to have a bit of a pizza party after service, okay? We're not gonna get that nasty domino stuff. We're gonna get some Papa Juan's and it's gonna be good. All right, so come hungry next week, bring a friend next week. Along those same lines, next week is the last week to turn in or submit your talent for the talent show. We have our Christmas talent show coming up in two weeks. Everyone say two weeks. Two weeks, okay, so December 21st, we're gonna get some hot chocolate, we're gonna get some food, we're gonna sing some Christmas carols, we're gonna do a talent show, it's gonna be awesome, and then we are going to head into Christmas. Who here is excited for Christmas? Good, good job. Okay, so you have all those announcements. If you forget, that's on you. It is no longer on me. Bear with me for a second here. We are going through a series in Advent, and what I'm about to say does have to do with Advent. You'll see here in a second, but I really, really, really love food. Who in here loves food? Yes, 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 yes. When, whenever I take a vacation, whenever I take a day off and somebody asks me, I could ask this question, I feel like a lot, like def define your perfect vacation or define your perfect day off. There are like four or five elements that are always included in this equation, okay? Number one is did I get to sleep in till when I wanted to sleep in? All right, so I could have woken up at 6 a.m., I could have woken up at 5 a.m., I could have woken up at 8 a.m. Either way, all of you are like, oh my goodness, that's something like, no, noon. I can't do that anymore, I have a child. So 6 a.m. feels awesome to sleep in. So did I get to sleep in till when I want? If I'm on vacation, did I get to do something fun? Did I get to do something fun? So like, I'm, I'm a little bit of like, I don't wanna say an adrenaline junkie because I'm not like super crazy, but like, the two best vacations me and my wife have ever taken are both times when we went skydiving. One was in Hawaii and one was like at the Grand Canyon. Like I like to do something like that gets your blood pumping. I like to have an absolute blast. Number three, I like to exercise on my time off. I like to go to the gym. I like to pop in the AirPods and I like to suffer for about an hour, okay? Number four, I like to be with people that I enjoy being with, right? So I love being with my wife. I love being with my daughter. I love being with good friends. There are other people that I don't like to be with. I won't tell you who they are, all right? Number five, did I eat good food? 
when I had my time off. And they're, they're like, this can like be a huge, like if I didn't have any good food, then like a day off was not a very good day off. It was so boring. It was so lame, like, like my taste buds did not get to like enjoy something satisfying. Like we have, we have a question around our team here, around our staff that will circulate all the time. Circulate, 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 right? Where it's like, okay, what would be your ideal breakfast, your ideal lunch, your ideal dinner? And this like question is like very easy for me. Like I'm more of a savory guy, not a sweet guy when it comes to breakfast, like bacon, eggs, all that sort of stuff. Do I have those people here in the room? Yes, like I, 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 like I want it to be like good. So my, my go-to place for breakfast is like, have you ever been, well, I don't know if you have, the Broadmoor Buffet. Like, I know that's like super bouge. I've only ever been once, but we showed up and it was like, my wife and I were staying there. We got this gift card to stay at the Broadmoor and we show up and it's like everything you could hope and dream for for breakfast just laid out in front of you. And this is a big thing with me, if you know me, I like a lot of quantity. Okay, you take me to a restaurant that charged $70 for a plate and they put a leaf on your plate. I'm like, no, nah, <laughs> no, nah, that's not a good meal. Like I need, I need food. So I'll go broad more breakfast. Then I go for, for, for lunch, my ideal lunch. I, I reach into my Vietnamese roots and I like to go get a nice bowl of pho. Has anybody in this room had pho before? Okay, so, so P-H-O, just so we're all on the same uh, playing field. Not a few, P-H-O, like a bowl of pho. I got some rice noodles. I got some sliced steak in there. I got some cilantro in there. I got some spring rolls, some egg rolls, and some fried rice. That's my ideal lunch. Then for dinner, I reach into like my Oklahoma roots, and I want like a perfect filet mignon with like mashed potatoes and gravy, with mac and cheese, with asparagus, and like a home-cooked baked dinner roll. Are you with me? This is my perfect, like if I could, if, if I had one more day to live and I had to pick my foods, these would be my foods. Now here's the thing. If you enjoy food, like I enjoy, enjoy food, there's a point to this story. We're getting there slowly. All right. You know that it is like, it's something that we enjoy. And at some points we take it for granted because we have food all the time. Yeah. Now there's a moment in my life where I realized that I took good food for granted. And this was Christmas time in the year 2020. I heard all these people talking about this like infectious virus called COVID. And the, the, it seemed like the primary um, symptom that people would say they would have when you got COVID is what? You lost your taste and smell. And I did not believe it. I did not believe it in the sun. I was like, there's no way you actually lose like your taste and smell. That lo- that's absolute preposterous. And I'll never forget. I woke up on a Sunday morning. I think it was a Sunday morning. I don't know. And I had this like scratch in my throat. And you remember in 2020 where it was like, if you coughed, you felt like, oh dear goodness, I need to explain myself to everybody around, right? He's <laughs> like, if you have a symptom, it's like, if you say something, then everybody has to go get tested and then everybody's on quarantine and you got to sit in your room for two weeks. So I like woke up and I'm like, oh, this... This probably could be from like overuse of my voice the day before. So I get up and I'm going about my day and we have lunch planned with my parents at this expensive place called Modern Market, okay? And so we go to this place for Modern Market. I know some of you like Modern Market. It's okay, a little too healthy for my preference, okay? But we show up and there's, I, I, I get the same meal at Modern Market every time. I get the chicken bacon club, but not on like their normal bread. I get it on their ciabatta bread, heat it up with garlic mashed potatoes every single time. In case you're wondering, mashed potatoes, my favorite food, okay? 
we go. So we order our food. We sit down with our parents. And as I'm talking with my parents, that scratch in my throat is like becoming more relevant, you know? And you start to go like, maybe I'm getting sick, but I'm not going to say anything. And then I had this like epiphany moment. My food got brought to me and I took a bite and I couldn't taste anything. I was like, I'm like sitting there with food and I was like. And you know, you, you start going through all the ethical dilemma. Should I tell people that this is going on with me right now? Should I not say anything right now? So I'm like, I'm like surely this can't be real. So I took another bite. I couldn't taste anything. I was like. Oh my. my, like look at Mariah and Mariah's kind of confused looking at me. So I grabbed the mashed potatoes and I'm like, I can't smell anything. So I go for the next 10 minutes on debating in my mind, should I say something to my parents before they leave this meal? And so I finish up my food. We finish up our conversation really quick and we're heading out to the car. I go, mom and dad, I can't taste or smell anything. You might want to go get tested. I'll leave it up to you. But here's the thing. That, that, that meal was sad, but what was really sad is it was probably like six to nine months that I didn't get my taste or my smell back. Did, any, did anybody else go through that if you got COVID? It's okay. It's like, oh, it's supposed to, yeah. So I was like, and then here was like the worst thing is it was like as things were starting to come back, some things tasted really, really bad, even though you had taste. Chick-fil-A tasted like death for six months, which is so depressing because I love Chick-fil-A. But every time I would take a bite of a sandwich, it tasted like something from a chemical plant, like that got dispersed into a river, covered in bacteria, and then put on my plate, and then put in my mouth. I hated the taste of Chick-fil-A. And here's the thing, like over time, it's like I, 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 over the six to nine months, I grew in this deep appreciation for food, because I miss the way that it tasted normally. Good news is it all tastes normal today. I don't have COVID. You don't need to go get tested, okay? But here's, yeah, we can clap for that. Here's the point that I'm wanting to make with this. There is a reason, and now we're getting to it. Oftentimes, especially around this time of year, especially around this time of year, and I'm not saying this for you, I'm saying this for me. I come to this season, I come to this time, and normally if you start coming around church, and most people actually start coming to church, around church, around this time of year, because it's socially acceptable, we read the same texts, and we start kind of doing the same things, we talk about the same, same things, and you know what happens? Is it kind of gets old. We kind of start taking these things for granted. We start taking God's word the coming of the Messiah for granted. And you know, you know what I'm afraid of most in my personal relationship with God? I'll just share it with you. What I pray to the Lord often is that God would keep me from going numb, growing numb or careless towards his word. As if I'm kind of indifferent to it. Now here's the thing. You can be indifferent towards all the traditions and all of like the glamour of Christmas. I don't care about that. You can hate gingerbread houses till the day you die. I'm right there with you. I'll hate them till the day I die. What I don't wanna become cold or indifferent towards is the beauty 
of what this season represents for the people of God. You know why we call it Advent? It's derived from the Latin word Adventus or Adventus, and it marks a coming. A coming. If you were a first century Jew 2,000 years ago, you are sitting there under Roman oppression and you're wondering when is the Messiah, when is Jesus going to come? And you're longing for it. Why? Because the Jews, in their mind, they knew that the only salvation, the only relief that they had as a people group came from a promise God made to Abraham. If you are a Christian here in 2022, what this season represents for us is a longing for Christ to return. As we look at the world around us and we see that so many things are out of place, as we're gonna talk about tonight, what this season represents for us is a moment for us to pause and remember that we are longing for something that yes, we can experience now, but is not yet realized by the rest of creation. And so this is what I wanna do as we start tonight. Before we hop into this text, we're gonna read a classic Christmas text here in a second. We're gonna talk about how Jesus is our peace. I wanna invite you to do something that I've been doing since I started prepping this message. It's just asking the Lord to keep me from growing numb, careless, or indifferent to who God is. Are you with me? Can you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, we love you. And we welcome your presence with us here this evening yet again. We want you, we love you, we need you. And so Father, I pray that you would open up our eyes to get to see you just a little bit more tonight. Lord, I pray that you would hone in our thoughts and you would clear out our distractions and you'd give us eyes to see, you'd give us ears to hear, you'd give us appetites, hungry appetites that just long, long for your word, long for you to break through in our lives. Father, I pray that you would rebuke indifference and carelessness in the life of every man and every woman who is in this room tonight. I pray that you'd give us faith, that you would yet again show us why you are worthy of the singing that we just did, why you are worthy of our time, why you're worthy of our energy, why you're worthy of everything, of our lives. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would Come, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. God, we need you. Jesus, I pray that you would help us see you as our peace here this evening. And if you can agree with that tonight, high school, can you say amen? Amen. Luke chapter two. Let's put this on the screen And we're gonna read this classic Christmas text. This is what it says, friends. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not for behold, 
I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of a heavenly host praising God saying, pay attention here in verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Everyone say peace, peace. The second theme of Advent, this, this idea that we are talking about peace. Peace is something that everybody wants. And whether you realize it or not, it's something that we always fight for in our lives, don't we? We fight for peace of mind. We fight for inner peace. We fight for outer peace. We fight for relational peace. We fight for circumstantial peace. There is a reason why we do the best we can to grow our savings accounts over time, don't we? And everything that's going to be told to you. They said that Gen Z, your generation, theoretically, is supposed to be the generation that is best stewarding their money at a young age more than any other generation that's gone before them. I hope that's true. I hope that's true, right? There's a reason why everyone's saying, hey, start saving now. Start saying, why? So that when you get to your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, you have enough to live off of and you don't go broke. We fight for that kind of peace. There's a reason why you have locks on your doors at night, right? Right? <laughs> right? Like there's a reason why. Maybe it's your dad. Maybe it's you. Someone in your house goes kind of walking around the house every night. I go check the back door and I make sure that it's bolted locked and we got like a little broomstick cut off to keep it from sliding back. I make sure that that's there. I go down to the front door and I make sure that the dead bolt's on and that the second bolt is kind of locked and loaded. I, I walk around and I make sure that like everything is okay. I go check the garage door, make sure that we drop the garage door before we went to bed. Why? I don't want somebody walking in my house while I'm sleeping. I don't think you do either. If you did, that's weird. We should pray for you after service, right? Like, like we fight for peace of mind. There's a reason why here in just a moment, all my seniors are about to go to college. Everybody is asking you what you want to do with your life, right? They're like, how are you gonna spend your life? What are you, what are you gonna do? Do you know the career that you wanna like embrace and like put yourself on wherever you're gonna go to college has a big part to do with that? Why? Because you need peace of mind that you're gonna do something meaningful with your life. We all fight for peace. There's a reason why little children, when they listen to their parents arguing and fighting, they feel really unsettled, Right? I had this moment when I was a kid all the time. My, my, my family was like yellers. Like we didn't, we didn't, like we just yelled at it. We were so mean, so mean. Like, and I would sit in my room and I'd listen to like my parents just yelling at one another. And I remember sitting there as like a seven-year-old going like, is mom and dad gonna get a divorce, you know? And I used to get really, really unsettled. And then there was, there was something about maybe the next day when I saw my parents come together and maybe they hugged one another and they kissed one, and I'd be like, oh. We're all good. There's a reason why you really like hope maybe you got a good grade on a test and you're waiting for the scores to come out. Or maybe you're like, dear God, please don't come out. I don't wanna see how I did, right? We all fight 
for peace. We're looking for inner peace. We're looking for outer peace. We're looking for peace of mind, relational peace. But the great revelation of the gospel, or maybe for someone who is a follower of Jesus, is that there, this reality sets in that the only peace that we need or the only peace that needs to be made is peace with God. Are you with me? Peace with God. In other words, this idea of, okay, wait a minute. Everything around me that I see is going on and I'm, I'm fighting for peace in all these areas and hear me. I don't want you to hear me incorrectly. I'm not saying that locks on your doors is bad at night. I have them. I'm not saying that you saving money over the course of your life is a bad thing. I save money. I hope I do, right? Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that, that, that you making sure that you are good with friends, maybe that you are good in the relationship is a bad thing, that you are fighting for. That's not a bad thing. But here's, here's, here's what ultimately every human being at some point comes to realize, is that oftentimes our peace is out of our control, isn't it? That oftentimes the peace that you so intentionally or so fervently fight for, you can't control. And so in light of all of the peace that we can't control, I remember when Mariah and I found out that we were pregnant with Haven, I was anxious for a full nine months. I was so scared, I was so terrified. And I wasn't even scared to become a dad. I was just terrified, like to give you a moment into my life, I was scared that we were gonna lose the baby. I was scared that we were gonna lose Haven all the time. And the worst part about that was, is there was nothing I could do about it. It's like I could do all the research till I was blue in the face to like, okay, here are the things that a pregnant mom needs to do to make sure that you like hinder or like, like, like try to limit all of the possibilities for like a miscarriage. But at the end of the day, it's something that was out of my control. And I've watched so many of our siblings, my wife's siblings, my siblings, friends go through miscarriages and I was just afraid that one day I would just wake up and I would get terrible news. And that was out of my control. And so I, there's, there's this reality where all of a sudden we, we fight for some sense of peace that actually we have no ability or capability to attain or to hold on to in and of ourselves. And so there has to be some different type of peace that can transcend a peace of mind or peace in relationships, or inner peace, outer peace, circumstantial peace, political peace. Like, are you with me? And this is what the Apostle Paul gets at in Ephesians 2. He begins to talk through the gospel for those who are followers of Jesus. And so, if you have your Bibles, Ephesians 2, I want you to read this with me real quick. Ephesians 2, 12 through 19, Paul says this to the believers in Ephesus. He says, remember, everyone say remember. I want you to pay attention here. We're in the Christmas season, at least for the follower of Jesus. This is a time for us to remember the things that God has done for us. Don't pass over that word too quickly. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Pay attention here. Having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near 
by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our what? Peace. Who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace. So what Paul's talking about here is he's going, look, the believer has caught a reality that we were at once alienated far from God. We're gonna talk about that in a moment. But now, now in the person of Jesus Christ, there's, there's this fractured bridge. There's this separation between heaven and earth, between God and humanity. And peace needs to be made in order for there to be salvation for humanity. What he says here is that in Christ, God drew humanity to himself through the blood of Jesus. And in doing this, he broke down the wall of hostility and the two now have become one in the person of Jesus Christ. God has made peace with humanity in the person of Jesus Christ and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility Verse 17, can we keep that text back up on the screen, Samantha? Verse 17, there we go. Where am I? Okay, and he came and he preached what? Peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we have both access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Next slide, let's look at verse 12. One more time here. So this is what Paul does. He's talking to the believers in Ephesus. So remember the context. He's talking to people who are already followers of Jesus. He's saying, do you remember that there was a time in your life where you were separated from God? There was a time in your life where there was something that divided you from like truth and, and wherever you were living. He's saying there's something, there was, there was a time in your life where you were alienated. In other words, there was, there was a condition of your heart that existed apart from God. And Paul takes a lot of time in his letters to talk about what does it look like for somebody who lives apart from God, whose the condition of their heart is apart from God. To save us time, I made a list for us. Can we put the next slide up? There we go. Oh my gosh, that is so small. Can you guys read that? I love Prem. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't read that. Hold on, let me come to, come to my notes. Okay, so this is, to, if, if you go through Paul's letters, if you read Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, Galatians, you go to Corinthians, okay, you go to First and Second Timothy, Paul lists out all of these things that this is what it means to be separated from God. This is the condition of the human heart apart from God. In summary, you are one who is dead to sin, ignorant of truth. You're blinded by Satan, alienated from God. We just read that. Disobedient to his will, hostile to his commands, unloving towards him, ungrateful for his mercy, enemies in their minds to God, by nature, as we saw in Colossians, children of wrath, slaves to sin and lovers of themselves. This is what he is saying. Paul is saying, he's going, look, there was a time in your life, if you're a follower of Jesus, where before you were a follower of Jesus, you had no care for God. 
You couldn't care less about who God was, what he did. And what you did is you tried to search high and low for anything that would satisfy that need for peace in your life. You would look and look and look. And here's the thing, whether you are a follower of Jesus or not, atheist, agnostic, Christian, or anywhere in between, we all look to reconcile and make peace with God, whether we know it or not. If you're an atheist and you don't believe in God, the way you reconcile and make peace with God is just by saying there is no God, right? That's how you live your truth. You say, the only way I can reconcile this is I look at the world around me and I've concluded that there is no God, so that's how I make peace with God. If you're an agnostic in here where maybe you believe there is a God, but you think that he's indifferent towards you and you might be indifferent towards him, the way that you have made peace with God is to settle on the belief that God doesn't really care about you, therefore you don't really need to care about him. You with me? Maybe you are one who, and I've been in this place many times, the way you try to make, try to make peace with God is through your performance, your religion, your ability to do well, live holy in life. And instead of having a means of peace through, by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, you've gone, let me impress God and let me show him why I might be worthy of him by doing all of these things. See, every human being, no matter where you kind of say, we, we attempt to make peace with God in some way, shape, or form. And then what ends up happening though is the gospel reveals all of those things to be finite, things that won't ultimately satisfy. And this isn't just a New Testament thing. This isn't just a thing for believers here and now. This is what Israel struggled with. Oftentimes they found themselves in this place where they were searching to like make peace with their circumstances. They're searching to make peace with the people around them. They're, they're searching to make peace with their God. So what do they do? They create idols and, and they start worshiping other, other cultures' gods. And they're going, I'm, I'm trying to reconcile this. And you know what the prophet Jeremiah has to say about this? Look at this, Jeremiah 6, 14. He says, they offer superficial treatments for my people's mortal wound. They give assurances of peace where there is no peace. So what Jeremiah is saying here is he's going, look, anytime you try to make peace with God yourself, whether by writing God off as non-existent, whether by writing God off as someone who doesn't care about you, whether by trying to please God through your performance, it's superficial to a mortal wound. It's a false concept of peace where there is no peace. If you're trying to perform for God, then there's gonna come a certain day where you realize your performance falls short. And so what do you have? You don't have peace, you have chaos. And so what Paul is saying is here, he said, hey, you remember that time you were alienated from God and you realized this? Can we put these four statements on the screen? You realized that you had wounds that you could not heal. You came to the reality that you carried shame that you and yourself could not remove. You came to the reality that you were guilty before God and you could not forgive your own sin. You came to the reality that you had an enemy in and of your own strength you could not defeat. 
If you read the New Testament, this is the conclusion for those who follow Jesus is we're brought to this reality. In other words, we start looking for all of these places for peace and we come to realize that they all fall short. And so what are we left with? We're left with our sin. And here's the thing, oftentimes when we talk about sin in church, this is where most people begin to roll their eyes and they go, okay, this is about all the bad things we do, right? This is, this is about the, you know, me dealing with lust or my addiction or, or me cussing at my teacher or, or me dishonoring my father and mother. And Tim Keller, he has a quote that I wanna share with you here. Can we put this quote on the screen that I think can be helpful for the way we think about sin? He says this, when the Bible talks about sin, it is not just referring to the bad things we do. It's not just lying or lust or whatever the case may be. Sin is ignoring God in the world he has made. It's rebelling against God by living without reference to him. It's saying, I will decide exactly how to live my life. And what Jesus is saying in the New Testament is that's our main problem. So what Keller is saying here is he's going, when you think about sin, go ahead and set aside the idea of you, all the bad things you do. He's like, that's not a helpful way to think about sin. He said, when you think about sin, I want you to think of it like this. It's one who's living their life as if God does not matter. What God has to say does not matter. Who God is does not matter. The world that God created and the fact that he's the creator, it does not matter. And so when we get here to Ephesians 2, Paul's going to the followers of Jesus, do you remember when that's the way that you lived? Do you remember when you were alienated and you were far from God, you were cut off from the commonwealth of Israel and you were without hope. Are you with me, high school? You were without hope. Verse 13, can we put up Ephesians 13? But now, everyone say, but now. I love it when there's a contrast in conjunction in scripture. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is what? I love this. So catch this. Don't miss it. Okay. The biblical understanding of peace is so different from the world's definition of peace. When we think of peace in the world's definition, it's like, okay, everything's okay. Right? Like the door is locked. People are not dying. The bank account is full. We have health insurance. We have life insurance. We have car insurance. Like everything is okay. But that's not the biblical understanding of peace. You know what the Greek word for peace is in the New Testament? You probably don't. It's irene. Everyone say irene. And you know what the definition of irene is? Completeness, soundness, wholeness or it is a condition of freedom. Catch this, it's a condition of freedom. So when Paul's talking about peace here, he's like, I'm not talking about a peace that just simply helps you sleep at night and chill out. He's like, I'm talking about a peace that takes broken things and makes them whole. I'm talking about a, a peace that takes chaos and gives it order. I'm talking about a peace that takes bondage and turns it into freedom. This is the type of peace that I'm talking about. And you know how you have it? God gave it to you. You didn't earn it. 
You didn't extend your hand to God and try to make a way. No, 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 no. He said, this is how God did it. You who were not at peace with God, who were far off and you were alienated, God drew you near. How did he draw you near? By the blood of Jesus Christ. This is what God did. So instead of him saying, okay, instead of this being a gospel where it's like you look at your life, you realize that you cannot find any sense of peace in everything that you're trying to do. And, and so then all of a sudden you're going to try to make peace with God by, by some version of atheism or agnosticism or performance or religion. God goes, no, 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 no. This is the gospel. Instead of, instead of you trying to figure out, I'm going to draw you to myself by the blood of my son, and he is going to be your peace. I want you to pay attention here, high school. Can I get the worship team to come up? Ooh, 803, I'm doing so good, right? Pay attention here. Peace, in the biblical understanding, is not a state of mind. Peace in the biblical understanding, isn't just simply circumstances being okay. Peace is not just simply nations not being at war. Peace is not just simply political division. Peace is not just simply racial reconciliation. Those things are good, right? Peace is not just simply like, we're good. It's not, it's not that peace is not the bank account is full. Peace is not you got your addiction dealt with. Peace is not just simply things are okay. Catch this. Peace is a person. Thank you, Preem. <laughs> Peace is a person and his name is Jesus. It's a person and his name is Jesus. And this is what's so oh, awesome about the gospel. Like I can't, I can't get over it. Whenever, whenever I read scripture, can we put up verse 13 again? Where are we at? Yeah, verse 13, put it up. Like when I read the Bible, and it's not like this in the Bible, but when I was making the slides, I was like, I gotta capitalize that but now. But now. Don't skip over it. Don't just make fun of me for it because I'm being ridiculous, though that's okay. But now. Think about this for a moment. Grady, let's bring down the lights. In all of your pain, in all of your suffering, in all of your doubt, wherever you find yourself in life, whether you are somebody who has a personal relationship with God here this evening, or you are somebody who is very far off, what Paul is saying is there's this man whose name is Jesus and he came to preach to both people. And you know what he preached to both people? Peace. He preached to those who were far off and he, he preached to those who were close. This message of peace. And, and here's the thing, like 
Oh, I've had so many moments in my life where I, man, you ever had, you ever had a moment in your life where you just felt heavy and you felt weary? You felt tired? You felt broken? You felt exhausted? You felt anxious? You felt depressed? You felt lonely? I've had a moment where I've experienced all of those things. Still do. And my gospel comes, and my good news comes when I read scripture and I see that but now. You know what the but now tells me? Oh my gosh, it sounds so funny as I say it together. But now, right? You, you, know, you know what I see? Like, like, like there, was this, there was this moment at when, we, when I, we were growing up and, and we, were, we were at this pastor's backyard pool and I was really, really young and, and we, were, we were playing in, in the backyard and all the kids were kind of playing in the pool and the parents were all like having food and, and doing what's what. And, and there was this moment where there was a young kid he got caught up like in a floaty and he got flipped upside down and he was drowning and nobody saw him. Nobody saw him. He was, he was flailing and he was kicking his legs and all of the parents were sitting there and they were talking, they were eating food and my older sister, Bethany, she was like sitting there and she's, she's maybe six, seven years old and she, she looks over and she sees this kid flipped up upside down and, and something looks wrong to her and so she taps my parents and she goes, mom, dad, like, is that okay? And the parents turn over and they looked and all the parents got up and, and, and the parent of that child ran and jumped into the water and flipped him up. That's a but now moment. Like, like he was dying, but his parents stepped in and gave him life. That's a but now. This is what God does for us in the person of Jesus Christ, friends. So Paul's going, look, in light, of your depression, in light of your anxiety, in light of your loneliness, in light of your brokenness, in light of your disbelief, in light of your distance from God, in light of your weakness, in light of your frailty, God came running after you in the person of Jesus Christ. You know why? Because God wants to make peace. And he wants you to live in the reality that no matter what happens in life, in life or in death, for richer or for poor, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, he will be your peace. You know, every time you look for a sense of peace and something falls short, you know what that is? It's a reminder that you were made for more than simply this world. It's a reminder that you were made to be satisfied, to be loved by, to be made whole by, to be set free by the creator of the universe. Can you bow your heads with me?
I believe with all my heart that for those of us who are close to Jesus this evening and for those who are far off, God wants to make peace with every single person in this room this evening. And I think there's a couple ways that he can do that. If you are in here and either one, you've never heard this gospel, you've never met this Jesus, you came in here and you just don't simply believe in God, but over the course of maybe the last hour, the Lord has started stirring something in your heart. What that is, is God wanting to make peace with you by having relationship with you. And relationship with him is simple. It's you dying to that self, that self that is hostile towards God, that is a lover of yourself, that is a, a hater of his will, who is dead in their sin. It's, it's you, that you dying. And it's you coming alive that says, Jesus is everything and all that I need. It's simply confessing with your mouth and believing that Jesus Christ is Lord and his sole reason in coming to this earth is to make peace with whom he is pleased. I want you to catch those words in Luke chapter two. Question is, who are those with whom God is pleased? We know from the book of Hebrews that it is impossible to please God apart from faith. So God has come to make peace with those who believe that Jesus Christ is Lord. So for you tonight, making peace with God is surrendering your life to him. For others of you, this is, this is the picture that I get, is you're like a, bear with me here, I'm not trying to be like Crash. You're like a donkey or a mule, and you're carrying a lot of burdens. Like you came walking in here tonight and you are, man, the way that I just, I see it is like you're carrying the weight of the world. You're so anxious. You're so afraid. You're so alone. You're so depressed. You're frail. You're tired. You're weary. You're exhausted. And I got good news for you. I got good news for you. The God of the universe, the words that he gave us, his words, as he's saying, come to me. All those who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. He wants to give you completeness, soundness, wholeness. He wants you to experience the condition of freedom 
that is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so this is what I wanna do. I, I just think it's important at times when we talk about this, like to just give these things over to the Lord. And I just want you to acknowledge like right now, like this is, this is why Christmas is awesome for the follower of Jesus. Like we're not here to celebrate like mistletoe and Christmas carols. We're here to celebrate the fact that this, this moment, this season represents God making peace with mankind through Emmanuel. Through the person of Jesus Christ. And so what I want you to do is really simple. Um, in fact, we're just gonna do now. If you, if you can, I want you to get up and just find a, a space by yourself. Just space to think. Do me a favor, don't go behind the sound booth. But stay up close. You know, one of the things that I, I absolutely loved doing and I loved getting the opportunity to do in junior high and high school was wrestle with God. And so what I want you to do is I want you to just take a moment as we head back into worship here. Is I just want you to, I want you to take an opportunity to just identify all of the things that you are not at peace with in your life. If identify those things that are causing turmoil within your soul. It could be relationships, it could be circumstances, it could be comments somebody said on social media. It could be fear of the future. It could be some secret sin that you're dealing with. It could be some heavy anxiety that you're wrestling with. So what I want you to do is you, I want to give you space to, to just give that over. Because I'm not saying that that's not real. I'm not saying that your pain is not real. What I'm saying is that Jesus is your peace. And he delights in saying, I've got you. And then this is what I want you to do. This, this is... This is the tough thing, as I want you to practice taking Jesus at his word. Giving it to him, him saying, I've got you, and you saying, I believe you. I believe that you got me. I believe that you got this. I believe that you stand over this, that you are my peace in this. So just take that, we're gonna just wrestle with the Lord for the next 10 minutes. So Father, I lift up my brothers and sisters and just say, Holy Spirit, would you come? You are our peace. So Father, I pray that you would give us the faith, the strength, and the humility to receive you as our peace.